Agile fans, and welcome to another episode of Agile Bytes, the podcast sponsored by Integrity Inspired Solutions, where we build software in an agile manner day in and day out. And today I'm gonna open up a little bit about one of our business processes, which is using MVPs as part of the budgeting process. The main reason that I wanna talk about this is because budgeting for projects in an agile world can be really challenging, especially when you're coming from more traditional models of project management and project budgeting. It used to be, I say used to be like this isn't a thing anymore. It's, it's probably still the most common way people approach their software projects. What you did is you sort of came up with an idea of what the whole project is gonna be. There would be a definite starting point and a definite stopping point, And you would try to estimate the cost of this project. And you know, software projects, we, we could be talking two to five years, potentially. You would try to come up with the cost of it. And then you would look at what the potential ROI was of that project. And if the second number was bigger than the first one, then you would probably do the project. Well, now that we kind of approach software differently, where we're looking at projects in smaller chunks, and the reason that we do that is so we can get feedback and respond to it, this becomes a lot more challenging because when we start developing a product, the project paradigm where we sort of have that definite start, definite stop, and we kind of have a fixed scope in mind, it really doesn't apply as much because as we begin to complete these product increments, we're going to be getting feedback from users, from the market, perhaps even from ourselves, and that's going to influence the direction we take the product. We may choose to add features in that weren't originally part of scope. We may choose to cut things out that we originally wanted to do. We may discover that features that we take on end up growing and growing and growing either in complexity or they suggest new features. And then of course, there's always the dynamic that once people actually see the product, that's going to make them think of things they didn't think of before, whether it's things that they missed when you were gathering requirements or completely brand new ideas that are probably very good ideas, very valuable ideas, and you want to include them in the product. The traditional budgeting approach is difficult for a couple of reasons. One is that we've acknowledged that just in general, it's going to be very hard to take a software project of any size and accurately nail down, this is how long, this is how many people, ergo, this is gonna be the cost. That's very difficult to do, to say nothing about the difficulties of, of trying to calculate an ROI before you have a product. But the other piece that makes it complicated is very rarely are we looking at a two to five year chunk of work in any kind of meaningful way. A lot of times we are looking at much smaller pieces of work, sometimes maybe only a sprint or two, if you're a scrum person, you know, a couple of weeks, a month, two months ahead in the product idea. When you're only looking at small increments, then whatever cost you come up with, you can't just multiply that by some magic number and, and get total cost. So it can be very challenging. And it affects both projects that you take on yourself because a lot of times you've got to get a budget for it. And so in order to get that budget, you have to approach somebody with a total dollar amount. But it also affects people who are working on the project externally as well. For example, we, as Integrity are a custom software development firm. And a lot of times when we are working with a prospective client, they want to know, and this is a very reasonable thing to want to know, by the way, they wanna know how much they're on the hook for. They have an idea 
of something that they need built. And before we get too far down the road, they want to know, what am I looking at from a, from a cost perspective? Because if they come to us and they say, well, I've got this idea, this software will improve my efficiency. It will enable us to scale. It'll enable us to get more out the door faster, or it's a idea I've got for the open market. It's going to make me a ton of money. They want to know how much they're going to be investing in that because it may not be worth it when the smoke clears or they may want to see if they can get it done for less money ultimately because they have in their head what the value is going to be and how much they're actually willing to pay for it. And it can be a, a challenge when we develop software in an agile manner. It's really, really difficult to go to a prospective client and say, oh, that's your idea. Well, hold on a second. Let me do some estimates. Let me do some magic here and bada boom, bada bing, it's going to be half a million dollars. Very difficult to do with an agile project. And a lot of times by doing that, by coming up with that fixed amount, it's actually problematic for customers as well, because in order to hit that fixed amount, then the contents of that product need to match up extremely closely with what we thought in the beginning. So you start building the software and inevitably clients will start thinking of other things that they need. Again, either things that we missed in the beginning or brand new innovations that will make the product more valuable. But we can't just work those in because we gave that fixed cost, right? And so now all of a sudden we've got new ideas, new information has come out, but we already fixed the cost or we already got a budget approved for X amount of money. So now we can't be responsive. We've already locked down the price. And one of the big things about Agile is we welcome changing requirements, right? It's a, it's a competitive advantage to be able to solicit changing requirements. When people change their minds about the software, that's gold because now we can get closer to what actually needs to be built as opposed to whatever they thought of in a requirements meeting three months ago, you know, or whatever it is. So how do you deal with that? Well, one of the ways that we deal with it is with something called throughput accounting. Now, this is not going to be a podcast on throughput accounting. I just want to mention it because this is kind of the goal, no pun intended. Throughput accounting is something that Eli Goldratt mentions in his book, The Goal, and the upshot of it is that cash is a flow, just like many other things in your business, and it has a throughput. Value is also a flow, your, your output, and it has a throughput as well. And when we're looking at the money we spend and the value we produce, we want to bring these flows into alignment. So it's not about how much are my fixed costs to produce a product that has fixed value. It's as we are producing value, how much is it costing to produce that value on an ongoing basis? And can we increase the value or can we increase the efficiency at which we're delivering that value as opposed to how do we reduce our fixed costs? That, that's kind of the thought direction that throughput accounting is going. And that's what you want to get into. However, this can be a very big shift for a lot of companies, especially the larger the organization is for a number of reasons, not the least of which that they're used to dealing with every acquisition from a cost-based accounting perspective. And so to all of a sudden say, hey, whenever we do a software project, I have this whole nother way that I want you to think about cash flow. That can that can be a long bridge to cross. So what I'm going to present you with today is an idea that's somewhere kind of in between. It's not going to make the cost based accounting people happy and it's not going to make the throughput accounting people happy either. It's sort of an intermediary approach. 
But I will say we've worked with a few of our clients to tackle pricing this way, and it is working pretty well for them. So maybe it will work out well for you too. It's just one option. It might not be the right option for you, but hear me out. Think about your own projects and see if this has a place for you. So the first thing is take the big idea and come up with MVPs. Now, this can be a whole podcast on its own. Here at Integrity, we actually have a very specific process that we take clients through to end up with an MVP. If you're interested in that, let me know. But the idea is rather than put a price tag on the entire project or even reasoning about the product as we envision it today, instead we come up with the first valuable thing that we can get out the door. So if you think about a user story, a user story is the smallest deliverable unit of value. An MVP is the smallest valuable product that you could deliver. Typically what you're doing is you're taking one end-to-end -end usage of the product and you are delivering that. And it's usually the most valuable thing. It's the core, it's the heartbeat. Why does anyone want to use your product to begin with? We're going to take that user journey. We're going to deliver it. That's usually our first MVP. Or maybe your MVP is defined by something like we need to ferret out technical risk or we need to see if anyone's even interested in buying this to begin with. There's different bases that you might use for coming up with your MVP. But generally speaking, you're going to be taking one user journey through your product and you're going to be delivering that whole slice. And we want to be able to identify at least one of these. Often in the process, we can identify two or three or sometimes even four of these at a time. But we want to start thinking about our projects like that as deliverable software usage, right? Like the product isn't done yet. There's still many things that need to happen, but here's something somebody could do with it and they could do the whole thing. Whatever that thing is, whatever that one operation is, they can do it from start to finish. Right? And that's kind of the scope we're talking about. So once you have that, then when you think about your budget, we're thinking about budgeting for that piece for that MVP. And typically the scale at which we're thinking about is much, much smaller. MVPs take a month, two months, maybe for the more complex one, three months to get out the door, right? So budgeting around that, scheduling that, forecasting that, reasoning about that takes a much, 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 much lower risk to do that. And if there are fluctuations in it, the scale of those fluctuations are much, much smaller. So our risk of being wrong goes down significantly as well. So just by way of example, let's say we come up with an MVP that has six features in it. We start breaking those features down into user stories. Some of them, maybe there's a one-to-one, -one. some of them maybe break into three or four. Let's just say we end up with 12 user stories. Well, if we have 12 user stories, then I can forecast how long it's going to take a team of two people to get those 12 user stories out the door. And now we have a budget. And, you know, if I feel there's a certain amount of risk involved, then I can add to that budget if I want to, to create a buffer. But basically, I've got a very small controlled budget box around the first quantifiable, valuable product that I could get out the door. Now, again, it's not going to be the final product. We might not even choose to release it, but I'm going to budget around that thing. And then we're going to build the MVP and it's going to take as long as it takes and it's going to cost as much as it costs. And from the actuals that come out of that MVP, then we can look and ask ourselves, how did we do, right? Did we nail it? Did we go way over? Did we go way under? And here's the thing. You're probably going to be wrong especially about the first MVP. But since it's just the first MVP, whatever mistakes we make, 
we can correct then with subsequent MVPs. Let's say, for example, that we said it would take a month and a half and that's how much we budgeted for, but it turns out it took three months. Okay, it took twice as long as what we thought. Well, first of all, we're gonna know that for our second MVP. So when we are asking for the budget around the second MVP, we're gonna already know, hey, if we use the same methodologies that we did before, we're, we're probably gonna be a ways off and we're gonna wanna accommodate that. We could also, if we wanted to, take that shortfall and then amortize it over future MVPs. So, you know, I, I don't know what an extra month and a half of development would cost you for a team of two or three or four or whatever, but, you know, let's say it was $30,000 or something like that. So I can look out into the future and I can say, okay, we need to make up that $30,000. So for the next three or four MVPs, we're gonna add that into the budget. Or we can just learn from our mistake, right? We can just eat that and then just know as we price out future MVPs, we're gonna try to adjust given the variance that we know about. If we end up going way over, like let's say we budgeted you know, for three months and it only took a month and a half, well then we can easily discount that amount against future MVPs if we want to, or just simply learn from our mistakes. We overestimated by twice as much, so the odds are pretty good. Whatever forecasting methodology we used, it's probably gonna be off by a similar amount and we can start to zero in on it. Now, is there still risk involved in this methodology? Of course there is. Any time that you look in the future and you make a statement about how long something is gonna take and what it's gonna cost, you run a huge risk of being wrong to some extent. And this is something we try to get across to our clients as well. When Integrity works with you on a project, we try really hard not to state a final cost at the very beginning of the project because that's when both of us know the least about the project. That's when our risk is the highest. Why would we want to fix the cost at that point, right? We want to leave it open-ended. We want to leave it flexible so that as our clients rearrange priorities, as they come up with innovations, as they come up with corrections, the project can absorb those things and we can't tell them, no, sorry, you can't do that because we already locked down the scope. We already locked down the cost. We already locked down the time frame. That's about as anti-agile as you can get. What are we even doing at that point, right? So we have to leave things fluid. We have to leave things open-ended. As soon as you say, this is gonna cost X amount of dollars, you are now taking on a very large amount of risk. And usually that risk is offset by limiting scope. So we don't like to do that. But if you are in an environment that isn't quite ready to make the full transition to more of a value stream way of looking at software development, you know, we're gonna be cranking out value week after week. We're gonna be delivering value to you week after week. And there's a stream of cash that's gonna be tied to that stream of value. And we're gonna keep these things matched up. If you're not quite ready, if your organization isn't quite ready to start looking at projects like that, maybe this could be a step up the ladder. Maybe it's a way to say, hey, instead of committing a budget for a three-year long project, how about we commit a budget for a month-long project? or a two month long project or a three month long project. Or if you're, a, if you're a software firm like we are, what if you told your clients, we want to earn your business every three months. We want to re-earn your business every month. We want to re-earn your business every week. That's how we do it. And what a powerful value proposition that is for a client. We're not gonna lock you into a three year long project. Instead, we're gonna resell ourselves to you every single month, every single week. This can be a way to do it. And it can be a way to find sort of a middle ground, maybe not always a happy middle ground, but some kind of middle ground between offering a fixed price 
but doing it at a scale such that when you make mistakes, the mistakes are not catastrophic. You can learn from them and you can adjust your pricing as you go forward. So really, when we think about being agile, that's really what it's kind of all about, right? And hopefully this mechanism will be maybe a baby step forward into getting you thinking less and less about the big project paradigm and more and more about the value stream of developing a product paradigm. Thanks everyone for listening to Agile Bites. Agile does sometimes bite, but we don't think it always has to. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be using. And if you can, leave us a comment because we'd love to hear your feedback. What things would you like to hear about? What things did you hear that were valuable to you today? You can also head over to integrityinspired.com to sign up to our email list. But that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time.